0: Good morning, and happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Today we're continuing our series called Wavelength, talking about hearing God's voice and knowing His will. And I'm going to start today uh, by saying something that kind of goes against the way we ordinarily think, and that is, have you ever thought about how it's a good thing to go to funerals? And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's good to go to a funeral because your presence there is meaningful to the people who are grieving to the family, to the friends. You don't have to say anything. Just the fact that you're there means a lot to them. But it's meaningful not just for them, it's also good for you. And here's why. Every time we go to a funeral, whether it's someone we knew well or someone we barely knew at all, every time we go to a funeral, it reminds us of the the finitude of our own lives. It reminds us that our life too will end someday and probably sooner than we hope. It reminds us that someday it's going to be you in that casket. So happy Mother's Day. Have a great week. But, but seriously, someday there's going to be some poor preacher, maybe me, maybe someone else, who's going to have to try to think of something to say about you. What can I say about this person that is positive, that's happy, but also honest? I, I want to bring comfort to their family. What will they have to say? Someday, your family and friends who survive are going to line up and and file by your casket, and they're going to look down into that casket. What are they going to say to one another? Are they going to say something insipid like, well, the funeral director sure did a good job on him, he looks like himself, or will they say something more significant? And, And most importantly of all, someday you and I will stand before our Father, our Creator, and we'll give an accounting for our lives. And, and as Christians, we don't worry about our eternal destiny, but I sure worry about what I'm going to say to the Father, to my judge when I'm standing before him and giving an accounting for, of my life. What will my life amount to? What will I be able to say, Lord, here's what my life was about. Here's what I tried to do for you. Paul, near the end of his life, the last written words we have from him are the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy And near the end of that chapter, he writes these words. Remember, this is Paul in a Roman prison, knowing that any day now they're going to take his head. And he writes these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. So Paul is saying, Lord, you had a course for me to run, and I finished it. You had a faith for me to keep, and I kept it. I fought the good fight. My life had significance. I wasn't perfect by any means. I was the chief of sinners, but... My life mattered in the end. Can you say that? If you knew you had a week to live, could you say, well, I wasn't perfect. I I needed God's grace all along the way, but my life has mattered. My life has amounted to something. I'm I'm able to offer my life to God as as a Thanksgiving offering on my judgment day. Can you say that you accomplished what you were put here to accomplish? See, some of us, have big dreams for life. If you're young enough, idealistic enough, that you still think, I'm going to be someone. I'm going to make my mark on the world. I'm going to change the world for better. That's good. Keep that idealism as long as you can. It it can drive you to some wonderful things. Many of us who are listening to me now have gotten past that stage of life. We're in our middle years or even beyond, and we've gotten to the point where life is just too busy for all that idealism, and and so we don't even think about our purpose, we don't think about what life is about, we're just, we're too busy trying to raise kids, or trying to pay bills, or trying to make it to retirement, and then there are people listening to me right now, I'm sure, who would say, I don't even think life has purpose, has meaning, at least not my life, maybe someone else's, but my life is is meaningless and purposeless purposeless, and I just don't even know why I keep on going. In this series, wavelength, we've talked about several things. We've talked about the different ways God speaks. We've talked about how we can have a a personal discipline, a a set a pattern in our lives where we learn over time. Here's how I know how to recognize God's voice in the midst of all the voices that are talking to me in my head and outside my head. How do I know when it's actually Him speaking? Last week, we talked about how to make decisions based on the will of God, and I hope. That was useful for you. But today I want to talk about a much more important question, and that is, how do I know that my life is following his path? If God set a course for me to run, am I actually running that race? Am I actually headed in the right direction? Because if you're headed in the right direction, that's going to determine so many of the decisions you make. That's going to enable you to know God's will so easily. If you're on God's path, you know that your life is headed in the right direction. So how do we know that? And in order to determine that, I want us to look at a, a passage of scripture that many Christians have memorized. It's become dear to a lot of us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And you can look at that scripture and see, well, yeah, I want God to make my path straight. I want him to direct me to the direction I want to, I need to go. And you can see the three different things you need to do in order for that to happen, in order to know what God's path is. So I want to talk about those three things that are mentioned in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 that lead to us knowing God's path for us, making our path straight. The first one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you want to know what God's plan is for your life? Then you need to trust Him completely. It's not a matter of coming to him and saying, okay, Lord, here's some plans that I have. Now give me your plans, and and then I'll be able to decide which one I want to take. No, you have to give him a blank check from the outset. And why shouldn't we? Psalm 139 says these words, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's David talking about how God very intricately crafted him while he was still an unborn child. And you may say, well, okay, that's King David, but what about me? Well, in case you don't think Psalm 139 applies to you, look at Ephesians 2.10, my personal favorite verse in the Bible. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of, ahead of time for us to do. In other words, God has made you a work of art for a purpose. There are specific good things He set out for you to accomplish before you were ever born, and so He made you, custom designed you for those specific good deeds. No one can do those things in quite the same way you can. So your life matters. And the question I want you to ask yourself is, would a God who is that powerful that wise that all knowing and also that loving that compassionate that intensely interested in you is that the kind of god you come to and say okay lord set aside your plans i've got plans that i want you to bless is that the kind of god who you come to and you say okay lord i want you to be my personal assistant helping me to accomplish all of my dreams or is that the kind of god you trust completely when solomon in proverbs 3:5 says trust in the lord He uses a Hebrew word pronounced like this, batak, batak, which means confidence, security. It means you're placing, as they say, all your eggs in his basket. It's sort of like, think about the trust fall. Have you ever done a trust fall where you fall backwards and you just completely trust the person behind you to catch you? This is what David is. This is what Solomon is talking about in Proverbs three five. You trust him completely, and so you and I have to ask ourselves, Do I believe? that God's plan for my life is better than anything I can come up with? Am I seeking to follow His plan, or am I just trying to get Him to endorse my plan? You need to decide that today. Do I trust God completely? That's the first key to knowing that you're following the right path, is knowing that it is establishing right from the outset, whatever I do, whatever I, wherever I go, I want to be following His plan and not mine. The second thing, don't lean on your own understanding. Several years ago, I read an article in Texas Monthly about a deputy sheriff in Fort Bend County who had come up with an innovative way to solve crimes. He was the leader of the the sheriff's department's canine unit. He had personally raised three bloodhounds named Quincy, James Bond, and Clue. Pretty clever. And he had created this innovative way of solving crimes that he called a scent lineup. He had such confidence in these three dogs That he, What he would do is, if there was a case where the sheriff's department had a a suspect, but they weren't sure if he was the right person, he would take a swatch of cloth and he would rub it on the suspect's skin. Then he would take swatches that had been rubbed on the skins of other people and lay them out as a scent lineup. Then he would take his three dogs, James Bond, Quincy, and Clue, and he would let them smell the crime scene. Then he would take them to the scent lineup, and he would let them sniff all those swatches of cloth. And if they barked when they got to the swatch that was rubbed on the skin of the suspect, that was his sign. Yes, this man was at the crime scene. Yes, this man is guilty. And many people were sent to prison based on this evidence. And so he was celebrated throughout the state as, wow, look at this guy who's come up with a great new way to solve crimes. And yet... When DNA testing came along several years ago, it turned out that many of his convictions were false. There was a man from my own hometown, a guy who grew up just a few years ahead of me in high school, who was sent to prison on a terrible charge, uh, convicted of horrible, horrifying crimes, and he was set free because DNA evidence proved he couldn't have been the person who committed those crimes. Many others experienced the same thing. And this deputy sheriff had to resign in disgrace. He was the subject of numerous lawsuits, as you can imagine. What went wrong? The, the, question in, or the question was answered by the article in an interesting way. It said, dogs, according to animal experts, dogs are unique among animals in that more than any other creature, any other domestic creature, they want to please their master. There's nothing a dog wants more than to know that their master is happy with them. And if you own a dog, you know that's true because you know the expression on your dog's face when you're upset with him. And you know the expression on your dog's face when you're happy with him. You don't get that same feedback from a cat, by the way. Dogs want to please their masters more than anything else. And these three dogs, they could tell which one of those swatches that the master wanted them to identify. And so more often than not, they would bark when they got to the swatch that pleased their master. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because you and I are like those three dogs in this sense. We have a master that we want to please above all other things. We have a master that guides our decisions. We we want to go where our master leads. We want to please our master. And who is this master I'm talking about? It's us. It's our desires. When you take away the grace of God, when you just leave us to our own devices, From the time we're able to make decisions for ourselves as infants till the day we die, in our nature, we want to please ourselves. We want to fulfill our desires. We want to do what's in our self-interest. Even when we do things that seem unselfish and kind and and giving and generous, we're really looking out for our own reputation. We want to please ourselves. So much so, Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 both say the same thing. They say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We want to please our master, and our master is our desires, and our master leads us to destruction. Think about some of the people in the world who have achieved everything they set out to do. Think about Barry Bonds, for instance. Some of you know who he was. Uh, wanted, to be one of the, wanted to be the greatest home run hitter of all time, and he did. He did eclipsed Hank Aaron's home run record, something no one one thought anyone would ever do. And yet, he's not in the Hall of Fame today, because he cheated to get there. I can remember the last season of Barry Bonds' career. Uh, Every stadium he went to, every stadium he played in, he was booed. I can remember him coming to Minute Maid Park uh, to play the Astros, and the Astros pitcher on his first pitch hit Barry Bonds intentionally, and the crowd gave the pitcher a standing ovation. Barry Bonds got what he wanted, but it wasn't all he hoped. I think about Elvis Presley. Think about this this poor young man growing up in Tupelo, Mississippi, who wants to be great, who wants to be a fantastic singer, who wants to be the greatest rock and roll artist of all time. And he achieved it. He's known today as the king of rock and roll. People go to Memphis as if they're on a religious pilgrimage. They go to Graceland like it's a shrine. But Elvis died in a haze of drug addiction, unhappiness, paranoia, delusion. Think about Richard Nixon. He became the most powerful man on earth. He was a gifted politician. He had, he had tremendous uh, credentials. He could have been a great president, and yet he was so paranoid, so sure that people were out to get him, that he cheated again and again. He, he broke the law over and over again, and then covered it up, and never really came clean. And as a result, not only did he ruin his own political career, not only did he bring our government to the brink of a constitutional crisis, but we've never really recovered as a nation our trust in our governing authorities after him. Think about Lee Iacocca, a very different example I know, but if you're my age or older, you remember in the mid-80s, early 80s, Lee Iacocca became president of Dodge and Chrysler, a very uh, failing car company and turned it around made it into a successful corporation and he became the first celebrity ceo everybody knew his name even people like me i was a teenager at the time i cared nothing about business but i knew who Lee Iacocca was he was in commercials he was on talk shows he wrote a best selling autobiography and yet in that autobiography he said the following words and i'm quoting he said here i am in the twilight years of my life still wondering what it's all about i can tell you this fame and fortune is for the birds. You can get everything you always wanted and be more miserable than you were when you started out. And it's not just with desires like money and fame and power. You can, you can have good desires, a desire to be married, a desire to have children, a desire to see your children succeed. You can have a desire even to accomplish something great for God in the world. And it can wreck your life if you're guided by your desire instead of by a desire to serve the Lord and to seek Him, and to follow Him no matter what. I want to give you a challenge right now. And I know I'm only on the second of three points, but I want you to consider praying something like this to the Lord today. Lord, I want these things, You know that, but I would rather accomplish Your plan than mine. So if any of this, if any of my plans, my dreams, my goals, my desires, if any of this stands in the way of accomplishing Your plan in my life, I will gladly set it aside today. Name your desires before the Lord. Name before him, these are the things I want, and say, Lord, if it gets in the way, take it away. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then the third thing, if you want to know you're following God's path for your life, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In my younger years, I was very fascinated by this idea of God's plan. I really wanted to know what was my destiny. I'd read too many books, seen too many movies. I guess I wanted God to be like Yoda and me to be like Luke Skywalker. And God would just show up and tell me, this is your destiny. Here's the path. You walk it and you'll get there. But that's rarely the way he operates. I want you to think about it. It's Mother's Day, so think about some of the great women of Scripture and how they found God's plan for their lives. Think about Ruth. Ruth, um, we're going to study her later on this year in a sermon series, but but Ruth, here's a woman who had lost her husband, lost her father-in-law, was devoted to her mother-in-law, and just decided, I need to stick with this woman. She needs someone to take care of her. I'm not going to leave her. I want to follow her God instead of the gods of my fathers. She comes with her mother-in-law Naomi to the land of Israel, to the city of Bethlehem, and all she knows to do is just try to keep herself and her mother-in-law alive. All she knows to do is go out and work for food and and try to scratch out a living. She's just following God step by step, just doing whatever it takes to be obedient to the Lord. And at the end of the story, she's married. She has a baby. That baby has a a child of its own when it grows up. The end of the story, it's only at the end of the story you find out Ruth's real purpose is she is the great-grandmother of King David, she is a, a, a spot in the line of the Messiah. She keeps the line of the Messiah alive through her obedience. Think about Esther. Here's a young woman who's very pretty, but she's also a, a member of an oppressed race, the Jews in the, in the empire of Persia. And her attractiveness, her physical beauty, actually becomes a detriment because she's rounded up as one of the women who are, who are cast into the harem of the king, King Xerxes. I'm sure Esther must have thought to herself, man, if only I were mediocre looking, they would have left me alone. And here she is a slave, a slave to this king, stuck in the harem of a pagan king. And yet, because she obeys God, because she recognizes this is an opportunity instead of a curse, she becomes not just a queen, not just a a person of physical beauty, she becomes a hero who rescues her people from genocide. Think about Mary Magdalene. Here's Mary Magdalene, who all she knows is God has rescued her. He has sent Jesus to rescue her from the demonic possession that has made her miserable. And she follows him faithfully. Do you know that it was the women like Mary Magdalene who actually financed Jesus' ministry? Do you know that it was women like Mary who were actually at the cross when most of the disciples had fled? And when Jesus died, I'm sure she thought it's all over, just like all the rest of the followers of Jesus. And she didn't realize until Easter Sunday my purpose is to be the eyewitness, to be the one who tells the whole world. Christ is risen. See, none of these women knew their purpose at the outset. They had to follow God faithfully. They had to follow him step by step, obeying him in the little things. What I'm saying is, if you want to follow God's path, don't sit around waiting for him to lay it out for you. Don't sit in a lotus position, position chanting or meditating and, and think there's going to be some flash of insight. It rarely happens that way, if ever. Instead, just focus on obeying what you know. Do what you know God wants you to do right now, and following him step by step is how you get there. All right. I remember a story about a, a young man who comes to his dad, and this is back in the 1970s. Uh, he comes to his dad and says, Okay, Dad, I'm 16. I'd love to have a car to drive. Would you get me a car of my own? And the dad says, Okay, but I have three conditions. You need to get your grades up. I, I want to see all A's, none of these C's and D's that you've been doing. I want, I want you to start reading your Bible every day, and I want you to get a haircut. I know this long hair is, is popular now, but I want you to have a respectable-looking hairstyle. And the young man says, okay, and he goes out, and he starts working harder at school. A few weeks later, he comes to his dad, and he says, okay, Dad, I'm there. I, I've got my grades up. You saw my last report card. It's all A's. I've been reading my Bible every day since the day you and I talked. And by the way, because I've been reading my Bible, I've, I've seen that, you know, Your hairstyle doesn't really have much to do with whether you're right with God or not. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that people like Jesus and his apostles had long hair. And the dad said, yeah, probably so. And you know what? They walked everywhere they went. You need to ask yourself. You and I need to ask ourselves. Am I obeying God fully? I'm not asking if you're perfect. None of us is. But is there... Any area of your life where you're saying, okay, I'm obeying you over in these areas, but I can do my own thing over here. Is there any area of willful disobedience in your life? This is a question we asked in the first week of this series. And we, here's what we said at the time. We said, why should God say anything to us if we refuse to obey him in the stuff he's already said? Is there any area of your life where you know what God wants you to do, but you're holding out? See, most of us are going to discover God's plan slowly. It's going to come step by step over the course of time. We'll look back and say, oh, now I get it. Look at all the different ways God has used me. Now I know why I'm here. But that only works if we choose to follow a path of obedience. That only works if we acknowledge him in all our ways. Not just coming to church on Sunday. Not just no longer saying bad words. Or not just abstaining from certain vices. But actually coming to him and saying, Lord, my whole life is yours. I'm going to obey you in everything. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Please listen to me. I'm not saying, if you follow this path, you'll get to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Because the fact is, if that were the case, if we had to follow that narrow road perfectly, we'd all be lost. Nobody, nobody on earth follows the path of God perfectly, except one. And that one was Jesus. Jesus walked the path of God perfectly. And they killed him. Romans 6, 3-4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If that sounds familiar, if you're a part of our church, it's because those are the words we use when we baptize someone. Not because it's some kind of magical liturgical formula, but because it's the Scriptures. It's, it's saying, What is baptism? Baptism is a person who is a new believer in Jesus saying, the old me is dead. I couldn't walk the path. I I just couldn't do it. So Jesus walked the path for me. And now, now that I am dead, the old me is dead, buried under the water of baptism. There's a new me. I can walk in a brand new life because Jesus has given me this life. I get credit before God for the perfection of his walk and I get a second chance to follow Him faithfully. And that's good news. Maybe you've never heard Christianity expressed that way. Maybe you've always assumed or even been told it's about following the rules, it's about being a good person, it's about overcoming sin, and, and that's a depressing message because none of us can fulfill it. Maybe for the first time today you're realizing that Christianity really is good news. It's freedom. It's, it's something that means the most to the people who are the most broken. And if you're a person who has never received that message and that salvation, I would love for you to contact me today. My email address is jeffberger at fbcconroe.org. You can call the church office. You can reach out to any one of the ministers. Our email addresses are on the website. Just let us know because we would love to tell you the next steps in following Jesus. Maybe today you're someone who says, I, I got to be honest, Jeff. I've been trying to get God all along, trying to get God to bless my plans instead of Trying to figure out what his plans are, or maybe you would be honest enough to say there is an area of my life where I am willfully disobeying God, and it's time to get that right. I know, I know, we're all sitting on our living room couches right now, uh, and we're just—this is a very comfortable place to be. Uh, this way of worship—how much longer it's going to be that way? Hopefully, not much longer. But I know it's very, very easy in that scenario—the scenario we're sitting in right now—to just listen to a message and move on. You're probably already thinking about what you want for lunch. But let me urge you, if God has spoken to you this morning and has convicted you of a need for change, do it now. Make a commitment now. Call somebody up. Call one of us or or, or your life group leader or a trusted Christian friend and say, here's a commitment I'm making before the Lord today. Or maybe you're a person today who who would even say, I've given up on the idea of life having a purpose. I, I don't know that I I'm even meaningful to God today, just understand, you are someone who's so perfect, so meaningful to Him, so important to Him, that He gave His life to set you free. That's how much you mean. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. If it didn't, you'd already be gone. So turn your life over to Him today. Just say, Lord, my life is Yours. Whatever time I have left, I want to serve You and follow Your path with it I want to close with this. And I don't know who said this quote. I love it though. Our greatest fear shouldn't be failure. It should be succeeding at something that doesn't matter. In the end, when we stand before the Lord, all that will matter won't be grades or accomplishments or money or success. All that will matter will be the plan God had for our lives. Did we follow it? Did we walk that path? Make that commitment to him today. And you have a wonderful week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have a plan for our lives. We matter that much to you. We matter enough, Lord, that you gave your life for us. And Lord, that is the best news of all: that we don't have to be perfect. In fact, we know we can't. And so today I pray, first of all, for people who've never given their hearts to you, that today would be their day of salvation. I pray for all of us, Lord, who have strayed from your path, who have Chosen to go our own way. Help us, Lord, to get back on, your, on track with you. And I pray, Lord, for those who feel useless, who feel that they don't, their life has no meaning. Help them to see, oh Lord, that you still have a plan. I pray, oh Heavenly Father, that we would become the people you created us to be and we would find joy in following that path. For it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.